Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. And if you are new to the Radio Islam family, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. Don't miss another episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, and you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, fam. Uh, we've been talking about narrative, and I think this this topic really falls uh, it falls in line with that, uh, though it might not seem to be at the outset, uh, because what we're going to be talking about today is gerrymandering, right? So you ask yourself, well, how does gerrymandering relate to narrative? Well, if you think about narrative in terms of you know the stories that we that we tell about others, about ourselves, um, there's no bigger narrative or no bigger story that we can tell um, than who we elect to to represent us. Because these are people that we we feel have a pulse on the community. They have a, an awareness of what our concerns are. Uh, they know who we are. They know our narrative. So this idea of gerrymandering, uh, and we're going to explain that for those who may be hearing this for the first time, um, it really undercuts the, the the political process. It undercuts the the democratic process, and it's one of those things that if we don't address it, if we don't understand it, then our narrative, the stories that that are being told about us, the stories that we want to have told about us, and the people that are supposed to be representing us and know our story, uh, those people really they never really come about. They're listening to someone else. So. Today, we have joining us uh, on the line, Kyle J. Ismail. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you a little bit, a little bit of info uh, about Kyle. Kyle is a program manager for the Corporation for National and Community Service. This is the largest funder of nonprofit organizations in the country. And for the past 15 years, Kyle has worked in government and nonprofit at all levels to create positive change. He has served as national programs manager for IRUSA which is one of the largest charities in the country whose mission is to alleviate poverty. Uh, Kyle has worked to strengthen uh, communities regarding issues of community development, employment, training, and financial education. He graduated in 99 with an MA from the University of Illinois in management. Prior to this, he completed degrees in journalism and American history at Southern Illinois University. Thank you for joining us on Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for, for having me. Yes, sir. So, as I said, um, there may be a, there may be some folks. Uh, I think, and I'm going to make the assumption in particular, our, our younger, uh, our younger listeners, this younger generation that we have out here, uh, who may not even be familiar with the term gerrymandering. Right? They have no idea what gerrymandering is and why it's something that we need to uh, that we need to talk about and how it relates to narrative. Um, so. So let's first start off by giving a couple of definitions uh, for this term gerrymander, right? And as, as a verb, gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is a practice intended to establish a political advantage for a particular party or group by manipulating district boundaries. 
Uh, the resulting district is known as a gerrymander. Now, I'm, I'm actually going to read directly uh, from a Wikipedia entry. So you can also go there yourself and check it out. Um, so it goes on to say, however, that word is also a verb for the process. And the term gerrymandering has negative connotations. Two principal tactics are used in gerrymandering. Cracking, which is diluting the voting power of the opposing party supporters across many districts. And packing, which is concentrating the opposing party's voting power in one district to reduce their voting power in other districts. And the third tactic, tactic uh, which is shown in this diagram here, so I, I, I recommend you go and just look at it for yourself as well. Um, and that is uh, the homogenization of all districts. So the whole uh, point here is to achieve a desired electoral result for a particular party. And every couple of years, this does, this is not simply uh, something that is a Democratic or Republic tactic, but this is a, a tactic that has been used by, by whichever party finds itself in a majority, uh, and they do it to continue to keep themselves there. I'm going to read this last portion here. Uh, so it says, gerrymandering may be used to help or hinder a particular demographic, such as a political ethnic, racial, linguistic, religious, or class group, such as in U.S. federal voting district boundaries that produce a majority of constituents, constituents representative of African-American or other racial minorities, known as majority-minority districts. Um, and this practice can also be used to protect incumbents. So that was a lot, but this is important uh, to give a uh, subtext and give uh, some, some put, put some meat on the bone here so that we can have uh, an informed discussion on this. So, Brother Kyle, uh, that being said, uh, if we, we see how this is a really uh, this is a really well thought out and really a diabolical uh, system to really circumvent the uh, circumvent the vote to really to, to tailor it to support uh, one particular party. Uh, what, what are your what are your first uh, thoughts on this as, as where we are right now and in today's political climate? And, you know, we're 20 uh, uh, less than 30 days out from uh, from an election. Well, you know, this is an extremely important election that's coming up uh, because I think uh, a lot of emotions are, are high, you know, in terms of how people feel about the direction of the country. But what I find interesting is I hear you give these definitions and analysis of what gerrymandering is. You know, we, we see these polls that, that say that the American public, had, that the Congress has an 88% disapproval rate. And how can our, the body that's supposed to represent us most closely, which is the House of Representatives, why can it be, why is there such a high disapproval rating? Mm. I mean, upwards towards 90%. And it's because, uh, because the kind of gerrymandering as you described has really served to create gridlock and a really uncooperative body that does not function to serve the people it's most uh, closely designed to serve. Actually, the, the, the part of our government that's supposed to be, of the federal government that's supposed to be most accessible to us as citizens is the House of Representatives. There are 435 members large, diverse body uh, coming from uh, every district around the country. Uh, and when they failed 
that's like ground zero for us as a democracy. So when that part, when that line is broken between the citizen and the House of Representatives, then that basic functional line between us as a, you know our citizens and our and our government, our federal government, is broken, and we that we should cease to uh, function as a democracy when that is broken. So essentially, I don't I don't know if you recall the the the, the group of scholars at Princeton, it's over sixty uh, political and legal scholars got together about two years ago and said that the United States is no longer a democracy. And part of the reason they said we are no longer a democracy is because of things like gerrymandering. It disrupts our democracy that fundamentally. And I mean, if we could just think of a democracy as the extent to which the public has influence on public policy, so when that line is broken, that's gone, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, what happens is, you know, in the place of a gerrymandered Congress, where the public has a 90% disapproval of the function of Congress, is the special interest step into that vacuum. That line is broken between Congress and its constituents. Representative, uh, special interest step in, people who have work on K Street and other think tanks and other uh, uh, special corporate interests, and also with dark money, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're able to step into that space and really exert an untold amount of influence on congressional representatives who, and they're leaving in droves. You know, part of what we're seeing happen in this uh, this turn is that a lot of congressmen are saying, you know what, I'm retiring. Right? <laughs> you know, Speaker of the House said, said goodbye. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are saying, this is not what we thought it would be, it's not what we hope to accomplish, and we are we're gonna find, we're gonna find other ways to influence the good, and mm. uh, thirty people are just not like thirty people on the Republican side alone, and they're in the majority. Right, uh, I'm not I'm not coming back. So that tells you the, the level of disaffection even from our representatives themselves. So we gotta find a way as citizens to create balanced communities that force uh, congressional members to listen to a, a broad constituency. Right, because you, as you describe gerrymandering, mm -hmm. you know, when you have a gerrymandered district, you don't have a broad constituency. You have a, you have you essentially selected your voters, and, and you know you what? Behave, you can behave however you wish. If I could add to that, um, and when that also happens, that turns the agenda uh, that that's presented into into very small uh, to to represent very small and uh, and specific concerns. Um, exactly. so, uh, so at that point, things that, you know, you know, if we're talking about an issue like mass incarceration, uh, you know, where we're looking at the United States having over 2 million people incarcerated, uh, and another, you know, in general, I think we're looking at about 6 million people, uh, in general that are under some type of, uh, reporting or authority, uh, of the criminal justice system, whether it be, you know, parole, probation, right. Uh, that's that's a huge that's a huge number uh, and a huge and a huge issue. But in communities where you have so-called majority minority uh, districts, but if they're broken up in ways where that concern doesn't have the type of, of backing, uh, they're well, not enough. Like you know what I mean? It's not enough folks there to really speak to it. Then nothing that nothing nothing changes. So that's a that's a tremendous uh, that's a tremendous yeah. point. It, it can it can it can lock it can lock major interests like that like what you described 
into fewer and fewer districts. So that what is really a major concern for the country as a whole mm-hmm. can be made to look minor and isolated. So you so you so you make a really good point. Yeah. Now, um, let's let's talk a bit about uh, policy and the gridlock that we see um, in in Washington, uh, and not just in in Washington, but just throughout the country. Uh, because this is a this is a a tactic that is used around the country, and uh, as I said, many voters may not really even be aware as to why the gridlock is as it is, uh, and so uh, so I'm, that's one another reason I'm really glad we're having this conversation. But when it comes to policy, what are your what are your your thoughts? Your first observations on that? The uh, uh, who is writing policy? Who is who is uh, who is directing our lawmakers? Well, one of the one of the things that I found most offensive uh, at this current state of affairs is that now lobbyists actually give uh, pre-written legislation to members. Uh, it, it, it used to be that uh, that, that uh, members of the House engage in lawmaking. I mean, and when I say lawmaking, I mean actually drafting, writing legislation. Right? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they're getting they're getting this uh, pre-written legislation from very powerful interest groups. Uh, there, there are a couple groups who um, one one which whose uh, name eludes me. Alec. That is. Go ahead. Alec. Is is. Exactly, and yeah. they and they were actually and they they actually specialize in focusing on state houses, mm-hmm. and, and creating these sort of national you know coalitions. Uh, to, to disperse written, written legislation to state houses. To me, it really strikes me as amazing that, can you imagine that in your work as a, you know, as, as a journalist, that someone will hand you your notes when you come in to work, you know, you have to say, what, this is what you're going to talk about today. Right. And this is what, these are your talking points, you're going to say this and this. And, at, and by the middle of the segment, you will have to discuss this, and you'll conclude here. And can you imagine that kind of prescription as a professional and as as a person who has pride and dignity in what they do, that is what is actually happening to our representatives. And so because uh, that has happened and their job is so focused on fundraising and they're kind of boxed in by special interests, their their staff is really more focused on communication, outreach, public relations. They don't really have policy staffs anymore because when you, when you have this kind of state of affairs, what do you need a policy staff for? Right. You no. Know? Right. You don't have to work. Yeah. Your, your whole point, uh, like you said, your your issue is not to come in and craft uh, legislation as to find out uh, who is bringing the legislation to you and and what type of funds do they have? Because uh, it is really a situation now where if you if you, you either play ball or they put money behind somebody else uh, to, to run against you um, and. and- yeah, go ahead. And think of this. And think of the sister in Georgia, uh, who was uh, stood up on the side of the Palestinian community. Yeah. And uh, her name actually eludes me at the moment, but she, uh, what she faced was uh, APEC poured money into her opponent, and uh, she, and so when she came up for election, which for members of the House is very short time, turnaround time, every two years. So they're they're engaged in fundraising and they're campaigning all the time, and they they got her out immediately, all because she challenged us to question the apartheid state in Israel to say, hey, 
you know, can we be making a mistake, uh, you know, in terms of our policy? So to even create a dialogue on something that special interest did not want resulted in her being uh, ousted in, in the next term. And so what that does then, so if you're a member of the House, you're not going to be a person who speaks up on principle. You're not going to be a person who speaks with moral courage or who stands up on issues that, that need decisive leadership and a need courageous leadership. Who's going to sacrifice themselves like that? Right. So it really, it really creates sort of like a plantation redux on, in terms of what can be talked about, you know, who you can associate with, and what are, what are appropriate ideas for us to even have a conversation about. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I want to dial, dial back a moment and refer to the uh, to the statement you made regarding Cynthia McKinney, by the way, Todd. What's her name? It's Representative Cynthia McKinney. She was a congresswoman in, in, in Georgia uh, who, who tried to speak out on behalf of Palestinians and was immediately ousted by APAC. Yeah, yeah, that's and yeah, yeah, not not surprising um, uh, whatsoever, but yeah. So I wanted to go back also to that point that you were making about the the Princeton uh, scholars who said that uh, we, basically we no longer have a democracy, uh, and I want to tie that to uh, another observation. Uh, well, let me ask: Did you see Michael Moore's latest uh, film, uh, Fahrenheit Eleven Nine? Unfortunately, I have not had an opportunity. I highly recommend it, uh, and uh, and there's there's one part in, in the in, in the film where he's speaking to a, a scholar from, I think it's from one of the Ivy League uh, institutions. Um, I might be wrong, but that's that's my recollection at this point right now. But what's more important is what he said, and what he uh, what he said was that the United States we taught ourselves as, as a democracy, but really we have we only became a democracy. Uh, back in 65 um, and 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 that being because with the uh, Voting Rights Act um, and uh, because prior to that access to to the polls was 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 limited or was just downright uh, denied uh, and for Cur- curtail curtailed by the age of lynching that yeah absolutely last, Jim last Crow well into the 60s yeah we're talking about just homegrown terrorism uh, with literacy, um, uh, literacy tests and poll taxes and uh, grandfather clauses and, and all types of ways to obstruct uh, the vote. But what, what, what I also took from that was um, since we have really been only a practicing democracy, uh, and, and you know what, I can't really say that because I have to go back and also look at the fact that uh, the criminal justice system is, is used in such a way to snatch the vote from people. Um, uh, and, and, and then we have these other conversations where, uh, vo- voting, uh, boards, um, uh, where they're trying to close down polling places and, and all this kind of, you know, craziness. So the, the thing about our democ- uh, democracy right now is that it's not just one person, one vote. Now we're in the citizens United era. Can you talk a bit about, um, how that has impacted, um, how, how it's impacted our, our democracy? Well, I mean, you think about the controversies that we have been seeing. Uh, it's actually been something much larger even than the, the original case, which was, you know, which was started with uh, a network that wanted to air things that were critical of, uh, of Secretary uh, Hillary Clinton. Right. And, you know, and it, and it erupted into, you know, a, a case that went up to the Supreme Court to say, 
how much is legitimate for a corporation or a nonprofit organization, a labor union, or some kind of organization to stand on speech. Like, what are the boundaries? And ultimately, what the Supreme Court decided was that there are none. That when it comes to First Amendment rights, this is about speech. And we can't curtail or limit speech. And so, if, if money is being spent on communicating a message, that that right, the First Amendment right, is to be exercised to its fullest extent or to the capacity of the party who is trying to put forward the communication, which basically says, if you got a billion dollars to put out your message, they can't make you stop at a million. Hmm. You can spend a million. And so, uh, you know, so uh, it, it's essentially, especially in this age of whoever's got the most money has the most speech. And we've always, we always grew up joking and, and, and with all with the phrase that money talks. Yeah. And they have taken, <laughs> they have taken that to the level of the Supreme Court in all the land. Money talks. And that is the rule now for our First Amendment rights as it pertains to political speech. Mm. And so, so, so the obvious implication is what you alluded to, and that is poor people cannot speak as well as those who are rich. Right. Uh, and so it, it goes well. And so in a society where you have 330 million people, your ability to communicate through the platform of media that's your speech, that's your power, and it is far more important than a single vote, right? Because you set agendas, you create messages, you create frames through which people think, it's far more, power, more powerful than voting. So what does that do? That creates, look at the environment that Citizens United was ruled on in 2010. Look at the environment that has been created in, in the better part of a decade since. Mm-hmm. Really, we have a world in which all kind of dark influence and nefarious influences are engaged in our democracy. You know, to create analysis, to create data, to steal information, to manipulate, to create an environment in social media. It, it's, I mean, this thing, this train has left the station. It's yeah. more than just, that is awful enough problem on its own. But if you look at the technology and the world that we live in in terms of influencing our ideas and how we think, that it, it trains left the station to re- create a really nefarious environment under which the president is now actually under investigation. So yeah. I think that it's more than just about Citizens United as a bad ruling, as an awful ruling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually touching other parts. And, you know, and we're unable to really monitor who is, where money is coming from, who the influence will, who the influences are, and how they how they're manufacturing news and information. It really creates a very uh, an Orwellian kind of environment, right? It's a it's a it's a it's a new world. Yeah, and then not being able to, uh, in 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 a lot of cases now, I think I think the case uh, specifically I'm thinking about is with the NRA, um, and how their donors. Uh, that's not Russia. a matter of public. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But, <laughs> but it's not. It's not a matter of public record. Um, yeah, so, uh, so the only way we can find reporting on this is that is we have to rely very heavily on reporting from the major news outlets to do investigation to find out where is this money coming from. Yeah. And even then, it's only speculation or maybe even circumstantial, mm-hmm. just because it's so difficult to trace where money comes from. So I, I want to talk about resistance to uh, gerrymandering, but. Um, but but first, before we, before I ask that, because uh, we're talking about just money and, and dark money and just the influences uh, that come along with it. What are your thoughts on the number of uh, just the fact that right now, uh, just in Illinois, we've got a billionaire 
uh, in office, uh, Rauner, who is uh, visibly uh, anti-labor, anti-union, um, you know, on the conservative agenda. And we have J.B. Pritzker, another billionaire, uh, who has his own history, but uh, it's one that is, you know, is, is being touted more so in, in terms of uh, trying to give back and, 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 and the guy who's got money who's trying to put it, use it in, use it in the service of, of others. Even still, what, what, what does that say? Uh, the fact that, yep. you know, you can't, the only people that can really run are folks that, that have already, that have, that, you know, yeah, you, you gotta you, have, you need, to be, you need to be rich to engage in a campaign. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And, and you're divorced, um, you're divorced from, from, from the folks that are really on the ground, uh, in most cases. Yeah, so, uh, because we, I mean, this is the tension between having a, you know, believing in capitalism and believing in democracy. You know, there's a, there's a dynamic tension there that has exerted itself at different moments, right? We're now at a, at a moment in time that's more like what the country was like in late 19th century, extreme inequality, yeah. you know, uh, one uh, percent exerted control, and that and that is just that's a reflection of the the time that we're living in right now. Uh, you know, we 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 uh, you saw the tax cut that, the, that Congress just passed, mm-hmm. uh, and it did it giving it, giving it more power and influence to the one percent. So, uh, and as they're hyper rich and hyper influencers like that, these are the folks who are able to muster and organize to run for political office. There's no longer an environment where sort of uh, insurgent community organizer can reach, you know, reach this level. And it sometimes happens in the case of Congress, like in the case of uh, the sister in South Bronx, uh, Ocasio, yeah. uh, Cortez. And uh, so we celebrate those moments, but they're sort of not the norm. And uh, it's, just, it's just a reflection of the time that we're living in, in the, the hyper inequality. And for us to take and, you know, to sort of take that back, we got to start putting referendum on ballots, you know, that speak to, you know, uh, in the state of Washington, for example, mm-hmm. they have they have passed it and made a law. It's a voting holiday. All right. So right. When it's time to vote, you have a when it's time to vote, you don't have to go to work that day. So that might seem like just a, a, a nice novel idea, but we got to understand what that's doing. That is putting the power of voting in the hands of the people in, in a very intentional way, it really undermines all this money. It really undermines all this very uh, narrow influence. And and it puts the common folk back in the driver's seat. How does that change how you have to campaign or who can campaign Right. when everybody's going to vote, mm. when everybody's already registered? You know, uh, we think... You know, a lot of in a lot of red states, especially with uh, Republican state houses, they're engaging in these kind of voter purges and voter suppression. So the Washington has done exactly the opposite. Instead of purging the voter rolls, if you're a citizen, you pay taxes, you got a driver's license, you're registered to vote. You don't have to, but you're registered and you have the day off. Now we mm. create these kind of environments, and that, that puts people back in the driver's seat of being civically engaged, civic participation, and having. You know, politicians and people in public office who are accountable and sensitized to man, these folks who come out and vote. I can't just listen to no special interest. 
I can't just depend on my war chest. I got to listen to these folks, and these folks are going to come out and vote. Right, right. So we, we have uh, to find a way to walk that back slowly. So let's, um, because yeah, you've gotten into the the real the real meat of uh, of this whole conversation, right? Not just to define the problem, but to talk about ways to to combat it uh, and that resistance. But look, let's um, we're gonna take a, a short break, uh, and we come back. We're gonna pick up this portion um, and and get into just just these different ways that resistance is uh, is presenting itself. So Radio Sound Family, we'll be back in just a moment. We're on WCEV fourteen fifty AM. We'll be right back. I'm voting in the midterm elections because my constitutional right. Because my ancestors died. And to make it better for my children. The women before me fought. So we can remain free. Helping the community out. Midterm elections. I know every vote makes a difference. My opinion matters. I vote. I vote. I vote in the midterm election. Register now on IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck for Dave2037 so he can buy anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. What are you getting Steve2037? Steve2037 will be just fine. Well, okay, but don't expect to borrow my anti-gravity boots. Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq al and we are on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Keep up with us on social media, and also subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at, and you'll find us at the same handle in each sphere, right? That's at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Uh, we have been talking with Kyle J. Ismail, and... Um, uh, if you're just tuning in really quickly, I'm going to let, let you know. I'll give you the, the truncated version uh, just to tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he's a program manager for the Corporation for National and Community Service, which is the largest funder of nonprofit organizations in the country. And um, he has a long history of activism um, uh, and, and service within and outside of the Muslim uh, community. Uh, he graduated in 99 with an MA from University of Illinois with management and prior to that, he completed degrees in journalism and American history at Southern Illinois University. So we are back at it talking about uh, gerrymandering. And this is all connected to narrative. Um, but you mentioned uh, as we closed out that that uh, first segment, we're talking about uh, just different expressions of resistance. And sometimes that resistance is in the form of actual policy. So you said these uh, Washington, they actually have voters uh, voters day. Right. So folks are given that day off. So it's not, you know, yeah. being and, and, you know, I think one of the reasons I think this is really important. And I'm going to give a plug again um, uh, for, the, for this film uh, for Fahrenheit 11 nine. Uh, and no, we're not getting any type of, uh, the, you know, we're not getting paid for this. But I think it's just it's it's, it's important. It's 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 a critical message at a critical time. 
uh, one of the, the things in this film there when they were talking about Flint, talking to the people of Flint, Michigan, uh, those who are uh, who are active in the whole, you know, they're trying to have healthy water. Right. And they're being, you know, it's they're, they're being subverted. I mean, on levels that we can't even imagine here. Uh, most of us, you know, in places where, where water is not a concern. But one of the things that they brought up, they said, um, we want it. We want to be uh, active. You know, we want to protest. We want to march. Uh, we want to be seen. We want people to know that we don't approve of what's going on. He says, but some of us said, you know, we got to eat. You know, we got to go to work. Um, and some folks are working multiple jobs. So uh, being a part of the, I don't want to say working poor, right? But when you have to have, when all your time is spent working, because you got to keep the, keep the lights on, you have to keep food on the table. Um, it can it can get really crowded when it comes to being able to be civically engaged. So that type of move right there, making it so that uh, economics is not a concern or, or at least removing it to some degree that, you know, you got the day off. And I assume that's a paid day. Yeah. My understanding is that it's a state holiday. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, there's there's no retribution uh, being taken against folks that are taken off to go vote. Um and what, what we have to remember about that also is that it started as a referendum, right? It, it, it was a referendum on, on a ballot. Should the state of Washington have a voter holiday? And the overwhelming response of voters uh, to that referendum was to institute it, uh, and, and it was uh, instituted effectively in 2017. Mm. So there have been other, there have been other uh, um, uh, resistance um, efforts that have come up, uh, Lansing, Michigan, um, and in Michigan, they've called for uh, a ban on gerrymandering, and this is not something. And I, I really don't recall seeing this in the mainstream media, uh, which is you know it's a shame. But uh, I saw it on the uh, the Atlantic, and they were just mentioning that uh, they gathered four hundred and twenty five thousand signatures to secure a spot on the November ballot for a constitutional amendment, creating a citizen citizens commission for redistricting, redistricting, which, you know, as we've said, uh, the, the, the district, uh, that, that whole process right now has been in the hands of people who are looking to secure their own existence, uh, and, uh, to perpetuate, uh, their own, you know, their ability to, to really, to keep citizens out of, the, the policy making uh, process to keep the citizens' voices uh, mute. So this is a monumental thing, and it's happened in other places yeah. as well. Yeah, some of the more forward-looking states have uh, established commissions, and uh, most states, uh, I think about 22 states, have government-appointed commissions uh, that really are acting politically. But a few, about seven states, have citizen-based commissions that are independent of political parties that are engaged in uh, setting up these districts. You know, this is something that's done at the state level. So whoever covers, whoever controls the governor house in the state will could, will have the say on how they're going to approach, you know, setting up districts. And uh, and while the stuff always goes to the Supreme Court, there's no set rule how you approach deciding what district is a district. That is by nature an arbitrary thing, and so. 
because it has historically been so arbitrary from the beginning, how do you say something is wrong if it's just your political interest? Right. If there has not been a set standard. And so that they relied on that. But some of the more honest, uh, you know, states have set up uh, citizen commissions to do, to, uh, to lead this effort. Uh, to, to your knowledge, are those citizens commissions, are they overlapping? Is there, is their term dependent upon, uh, uh, who's in the state house, who, uh, who's in the, the, the yes. governor's seat? It, yes, it is. It, unfortunately, it still is. Okay. Cause I'm thinking in an ideal situation, their term would be, uh, it would be one that would overlap. Um, you unfortunately, know. every government has the, every governor has the right. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, every governor has the right to appoint such a commission. Right. Uh, but we have a few that have been, uh, at least been honest enough to establish what on the face of it looks like citizens' commission uh, of independent uh, independent folks. Right. So, I mean, that's just one, that's one thing I did. I think, and as I mentioned, the state of Michigan is, 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 a, is a state to follow because, and you mentioned Lansing, that has been a movement that people are, on social media are trying to duplicate around the country. But uh, I, I would encourage that we have to be as 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 good citizens, and you know, and as as Muslims who see that uh, our you know I know everyone who listens isn't Muslim, but as Muslims we you know our, our part of our religious obligation is responsible citizenship, and I and I would I would hope that we would find ways to get involved locally because really our system is one that works from the ground up. By the time we vote for president, if we haven't been involved locally then our power is severely weakened, you know, and we left at the whim of looking at personalities and popularity and so on and so forth. But when we're locally engaged, we're, we're much more in command and we don't depend on so much on uh, waiting every four years on see who's going to be elected president of the United States. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. So, um, I think after understanding what gerrymandering is, uh, and then seeing that there are efforts to uh, combat it. Uh, I think the next step has to be, as, as you just mentioned, it has to be folks on the ground and in, in, in your own individual, um, in your own individual areas, your locations, uh, really coming together to create greater awareness on the ground uh, and finding ways to replicate, um, finding ways to, to replicate what has been done. So, you know, like they got the, uh, in Michigan, you know, they, they got it on the, uh, on the ballot uh, as, as, a, um, as a proposed amendment. So we need to have the same thing done in Illinois. We need to have the same thing done in Indiana. I mean, across across the country, but particularly it's something that needs to be done in those majority minority uh, districts, because th those are those places where you have folks. Uh, and we talked about this on a previous program, uh, we played a clip of a gentleman who uh, this in the 2016 election was saying uh, saying not to vote, right? Don't vote. Withhold your vote as as a as a means of protest, uh, and you know, and which is how we, which is how Trump is president, by the way. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know that 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 has no as as a tactic. You know, you're doing nothing. Yeah, you're only hurting yourself. Yeah, you're only hurting yourself. But I, I do understand the frustration that people have. Um, but addressing how the the vote is diluted, how that voice is is diluted is is the real is the real issue and that's the real work so i think this is where we no no that you understand the point actually because 
uh, it's so important for us to be registered to vote and to vote. You know that in both Michigan and Wisconsin, mm-hmm. that there was lower voter turnout for the presidential presidential election than there was in the primary, which shows. I understand, as you mentioned, it shows that we're disaffected. It shows that we are disheartened and upset, and it is a, a form of protest. It is one that we can ill afford, really, because when yeah. you think about it, when you're registered to vote, this is where jury pools are selected. Exactly. This is, uh, you know, and, and, and we, we are concerned about injustice in so many instances. We cannot afford to be not represented in those uh, kinds of situations. And, yeah. and this as responsible citizenship, we have to be, we have to set up and be accounted for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and of course, this means that we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, which means that just as we are making sure that we're registered to vote, we also want to make sure that we are, that the people that are, um, that are seeking our vote are people that, that are actually worthy of our, rep, you know, of, of, of our vote. Um, and once they're in office, absolutely. that, that we have access because as you mentioned, you know, with the, the old, the house of uh, representatives, uh, that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be our ground level uh, entry point. And when that's not available to us, uh, that means that the the system is not working in the way that it's supposed to, at least not for the people. It's right. working the way it's, it's right. supposed to for corporate interests, but not for the people. So, right. and, it leaves us, and it leaves us with these very facile and, and, you know, non-functional forms of protest like what we discussed not voting is a form of protest uh, and it leaves us kind of desperate and isolated and marginalized and then we see what's happening with our government at this point we think a very unprecedented thing we realize that that is just not tenable going forward no no and the unthinkable is is actually um, it is possible the stuff that that you think could never be brought back or could never happen um yeah, it, it can happen, and, and and it happens when you remove yourself from the equation, when you stop advocating Absolutely. For, for yourself. Absolutely. Progress is not a straight line. Progress yeah. is not a straight line. And mm-hmm. we got to get away from thinking that progress is linear and over time things automatically get better. It's not true. It gets better because of our intentional effort and our intentional, deliberate, organized effort. Mm-hmm. And just like have we seen voter access has been rolled back, right? Yeah. So, so you know, so and you know that's why we are able. That's why we see so many states that are able to engage in these sort of voter suppression approaches. Like we in, in, in Georgia, we have a candidate running for governor who's the Secretary of State who's sitting on fifty thousand votes that on his desk that yeah. he won't review. Yeah. Because this is the kind of thing that people can engage in and kind of tactics when, when voter rights has been rolled back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shows you that there's there's there are a lot of folks who are very upset uh, that that voting has been extended uh, to, to everybody, at least in theory. Uh, with that, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and I'm hoping that uh, we can get you on again because we definitely, you know, this is just the beginning, uh, and, um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. So, uh, Brother Kyle, we appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, brother. All right. Bye. Salam alaikum. All right, Radio Slam family, we're going to take a short break. And we'll be back in a minute. This is Radio Slime on WCEV 1450 AM. Sweet strawberry icing. You're in goodwill and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot. Miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah. That's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. 
So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. There's a lot at stake this November. 36 governorships. 35 Senate seats. And all 435 House seats are up for election. If only 50% of voters show up, it would be the highest midterm turnout in a century. Learn more and get involved at IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. All you have to do is remember at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Uh, you will find us. So stay, stay, stay connected. All right. So we are talking about uh, we've been talking about gerrymandering. And uh, just the the impact that it has on uh, on our democracy, uh, the impact that it has on suppressing votes, diluting votes. And basically what it does, it allows for uh, elected officials to pretty much choose their voters. Right. Not the other not the other way around. Doesn't allow you as a voter. You or I as a voter to choose our uh, our representative. And this is a very dangerous. uh, It's a very dangerous practice. Uh, and it's one that that folks are stepping up against. You know, they're standing up and they're saying that, no, uh, we're not going to be deprived or denied our rights as citizens. So, uh, Kyle, in the previous segment, uh, Kyle J. Ismail, our, our guest, he mentioned, uh, I think it was in a, a governor's race uh, whereby um, some official had 50,000 or so. Uh, 50,000 or so voting applications that were sitting on their desk uh, and they, you know, and then they, they were not doing anything about them. So in our previous segment with Kyle uh, J. Ismail, he mentioned a state where there were over 50,000 applications, uh, voting applications that were being denied or being ignored by a state official. So I had to go look that up. I had to see exactly where that was. Uh, I remember hearing about it, and it turns out this is going on in Georgia. So Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp uh, is responsible for reviewing uh, the voter rolls uh, and maintaining that that voter uh, database. Um, But right now, there are about 53,000 
applications that are sitting on his desk that are sitting on hold. Now, what's interesting here is that while he is the secretary of state, he is also at this point, he is the Republican candidate for governor. Now he's in charge of elections and voter registration uh, as well uh, while that's going on, which which seems to be a tremendous conflict of interest. Um, so what we're looking at is uh, an office. We're looking at an individual who has uh, purged over or canceled over 1.4 million voter registrations since 2012 and nearly 670,000 registrations were canceled last year alone. Right. Those are huge numbers, huge numbers. So when we mentioned early on that there are folks who are piping mad, I mean, they are they are they, they are beside themselves uh, with anger that the vote that voting rights have been extended uh, uh, to the African-American community, that voting rights are extended to anybody who sees the world differently uh, than they do. Uh, they are uh, they are upset that we're no longer in a society where they can get away with just lynching folks. You know, we're just snatching somebody who is agitating for for change and equality uh, that they can't just snatch their person and, and and string them up. But what they do now, what they do today is that they continue to try to find ways to exclude people from the uh, from the voting process. And then and they, they do it legally. Uh, I think I've heard Al Sharpton, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, talk about this. Uh, he used the, the term. He says uh, he went from being uh, was it he went from being uh, Jim Crow to Jim Crow Esquire. All right. So it, it's gone from uh, the simple brutality, the, the outward and apparent brutality of the Jim Crow area era. Excuse me. The Jim Crow era to now being uh, Jim Crow uh, with the with the the, the reins of, of law and policy uh, at his disposal so that's that's how they're working today and you have to understand that whether you're Muslim whether you're African American whether you're you're Syrian Palestinian Arab uh, white uh, wh whatever you are Mexican you know uh, Honduran whatever your your ethnicity or nationality is uh, this is supposed to be the place where you have a voice right that you have a voice you have uh, free speech and you have access. And and what we have is we have a system that people that special interest have found ways, continue to find ways uh, to subvert, uh, to undercut and take away from the people and use for their own interests. So we, we bring this out. We bring out this point of uh, of gerrymandering uh, just you know, just at, at the very beginning, there's so much more that we're going to have to talk about uh, and examine. But this is a point to be mobilized. This is a time to be aware. Uh, and it is a time to duplicate the successes and the efforts that we see taking place in other places like like uh, Michigan, like Pennsylvania uh, and, and, and other places where people are standing up and saying that citizens need to be uh, need to have a voice and need to be responsible for uh, for for the whole district uh, districting process, right? And 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 then right there's another layer to this as well, uh, and that is, it also has to be one that's independent. It needs to be independent of the 
um, of of who of, of the of, of the majority party, right? It really needs to reflect uh, the people. So that's the struggle, right? We're struggling for democracy, uh, and so we're gonna keep we're gonna keep talking about it. Uh, we're gonna keep pushing for for folks to be aware and to be engaged, uh, and uh, yeah. So th that that's it. But before we before we get out of here, we wanna also go ahead and let you know about a few things that are taking place this weekend. Uh, if you are in the Chicagoland area, uh, we invite you to come out this weekend, Saturday and Sunday for uh, phenomenal Adams World live show. Uh, if you are familiar, well, I know you are. If, if, you, if you're familiar with Sound Vision and you're familiar with Radio Islam, then you've got to be familiar with Adams World. So Adams World Live is going to be at Zakat Foundation this Saturday. Uh, that's October 13th, and that's in Bridgeview, Illinois, 7421 West 100th Place. Uh, West 100th Place. And tickets are only $5, right? So you can bring the children and you can bring your nieces and nephews, uh, but come out for a, a great show. That's going to be at 3, I'm sorry, at 4 p.m. Uh, and then on Sunday, Adams World Live will be at the Islamic Foundation uh, in Villa Park. And that's going to be at 3 p.m. So that's 39 East St. Charles Road. Tickets, once again, are $5. So very affordable to bring the family out. And uh, and it's also uh, a very important topic. Uh, the, the, the whole theme of this particular show is bullying. So Adam uh, Adam and Anissa, they, they're dealing with bullying, with, which is a which is taking on a, a different a different life. Bullying is not as uh, those folks who are, you know, may have grown up in the, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, it, bullying has changed. Right. With social media, it has changed so much and our children have to have the tools to be able to deal with it in ways that uh, preserve their dignity, preserve their safety uh, and allow them to to advocate for themselves. Right. So uh, so come on out Saturday and Sunday. And last but not least, October 27th, Ashton Place uh, in Willowbrook, Illinois, Illinois, come out for the Sound Vision Benefit Dinner. Our keynote speakers are Linda Sarsour, co-chair of the Women's March. Uh, and uh, a wonderfully, a wonderfully uh, an important uh, activist uh, for Muslims and, and role model for many, uh, as well as Amir uh, Kauji, who is a video editor with AJ Plus. And of course, you know, you will have uh, Sound Vision's leader and leader of Burma Task Force, Imam Malik Mujahid. So come on out, support. Tickets only $50 and you can get more information. Uh, go to info, dot, uh, info at soundvision.com. And uh, and come out, come out and join us. This is time for us to be engaged uh, and be on the scene, be present. So thank you all for tuning in. We want to thank our engineers over at WCEV. Thanks for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, good people, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.
Thank you.